May the peace of Christ be with you. Let's consecrate ourselves in prayer, first of all. Our gracious Heavenly Father, may the words of our mouth, may the meditations of our hearts, may the hearing of your word be acceptable and favorable in thy sight. We ask, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. I would like to begin again with the passage in verses 37 and 38 of John 18. Let me read this again for you. This is the key verse of our message this morning. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? And Jesus answered and said, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose... I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Question. Why could Pilate not hear Jesus? Because his response was, what is truth? Why could he not grasp what was Jesus saying to him? Somewhere In the past of Pilate's life, Pilate had banished truth from his life. For him, he lived for one thing, and that was power, not for truth. Truth was nothing to Pilate. Power was everything. And that's why Pilate said, dude, what is truth? He had said as much to Jesus. He says, do you not know that I have power, I have authority to release you? And I have power to crucify you. As if to say, Jesus, it is all about power in this world. Not about witnessing to some truth. And as Pilate saw it, Jesus had no power and therefore he was without charge. He was innocent. I want you to picture this, as you see it here on the slide. Who's really on trial here? Is Jesus on trial before Pilate? Or is Pilate on trial before Jesus? And the answer is yes. They both are on trial before each other. So Jesus is on trial before the power of Roman magistrate. And Pilate is on trial before the truth of Jesus Christ. And so here we have all of Rome standing up against all of the king of truth. And both of them are on trial. Now in the eyes of Pilate, again, Jesus has no power and therefore he is innocent. And he says as much several times. He said, I find no guilt in this man. There's no power base here for me to judge. But in the eyes of Jesus, Pilate is guilty. And he says as much. He said, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Meaning, Pilate, you are in sin. Pilate is guilty. But why can Pilate not see it now? Now that truth is standing before him, bleeding and bloodied and testifying to him, why can he not see it now? And the answer is, he doesn't have the truth in him in order to repent which is my message this morning. You need truth in order to repent. 
Jesus had said as much he, because he cannot see the very thing that is the very person who's speaking to him is the embodiment of the king of truth. Jesus had said that. What he cannot understand is that truth is not an idea that floats around. Truth is a person. Jesus had said as much the night before to the disciples. He said, I am the truth. And so Jesus, standing before him, the embodiment of truth, the one who owns all truth, for him all truth belongs, speaks to him and is engaging with him, and Pilate can't grasp it. Because you need truth in order to say, something is deeply wrong within my life. Isn't this amazing? Truth has knocked on the door, and he cannot answer. Because he doesn't have truth anymore. And at this point, I would say, what a portrait this is of a tragedy for a people, for a home, for a nation, that when God withdraws his truth, people can no longer repent. I consider repentance one of the highest gifts that God could give you. I consider repentance one of the best gifts for a marriage, for a home, for an institution. The ability to say, I am wrong. I need to repent. I need to change. What a gift that is for a people. Because where there is no repentance, there is no genuine change. And where there is no genuine change, there is no hope. So a people without repentance is a people without hope. Now here's the unique thing. And again, Jesus will say this to the disciples last night. He says, truth has to be given to you. It's, Jesus will say to them, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. When the spirit of truth comes, a person, he will guide you into all truth. Truth has to come to you. Truth has to guide you. Truth has to speak to you. Truth has to lead you, as it were, by the hand. And this is the disciples that Jesus is going to hand over to the disciples. He will commission them that they too must be those who pronounce the truth. Here's a beautiful verse from 2 Timothy 2.25. Listen to this. Correct your opponents. Correct your opponents with gentleness. You will use the truth for that. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. Isn't that beautiful? With truth, you gently help someone to repent. And this is the work of God. And then he adds more truth and more light in order to grow in truth. So repentance is not simply correcting, it invites in more truth. And the more truth you have, the more you are able to bring about those deep changes that you yourself can't make. Have you discovered that, that you can't change yourself? But God can. And the vehicle is Jesus, the truth. Martin Luther, who will celebrate his, I think, 500th anniversary this year of the nailing of the 95 Thesis on the doors of Wittenberg, his opening line is this. Listen to this. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Isn't that powerful? He willed that your entire life would be a life of Repentance. Repentance is for the rest of our life. 
It's the way God operates with truth within our hearts. And so, if you're going to change, it will be because of the truth that you are welcoming, sorry, that you are welcoming and bringing into your life. I wouldn't imagine that this surprises you. Because the overall idea is that truth is something that floats around that you can put up on a web page. And so, truth, according to a global kind of natural, global understanding, is that it's what Wikipedia could share. For them, truth is something you can write on a web page. It's not a person. It's an idea. It's your thoughts of reality, and you paste them on Wikipedia or some other site. Wikipedia and those who work in this sphere cannot see that Jesus actually has a monopoly on all truth and all wisdom. When Jamie read to us earlier from Job 12, and God starts off saying, all wisdom is mine, all truth and understanding, the world just says, what? That's not how we see it. God says, I have a monopoly on all wisdom, on all knowledge and all understanding. It is all mine, and I can recall it at any point that I wish. Folks, that's scary. He can recall what is his. But Wikipedia says the following about Jesus, and I think it's posted for you this. This is what Wikipedia says. He was a Jewish preacher and a religious leader who became a central figure of Christianity. Christians believe him to be the Son of God and the awaited Messiah. Do you see the flaw? They did not say he taught that he was the Son of God and the Messiah. That is the truth. He taught that he was the Son of God and the Messiah. They say, well, Christians just believe that he was the Son of God and the Messiah. They cannot hear. They are responding exactly the way Pontius Pilate And therefore, my first great challenge to you this morning is this. We have a duty, the body of Christ, to discern when truth has been banished from the public sphere, from a marriage, from a human life. We need to audit and take inventory of how much truth we are still working with in any sphere that we may belong in. And we have to ask at this point, is it possible that I could be so anything but Jesus-focused I don't hear the truth anymore. Is it possible that someone could come to me and graciously knock on the door and speak as graciously as Jesus did with Pilate, and I can't hear it anymore? That would be a deep tragedy. In fact, Hosea will say at some point, my land is destroyed for a lack of knowledge. The lack of knowledge is a destructive force. The knowledge of God, that is. Well, may God have mercy on that nation or that people or that community which has exiled the gospel from them. We have a proverb in the Dutch language which says, if God wants to punish a nation, he removes wisdom from her leaders. When God wants to punish a nation, he removes wisdom from its leaders. It's based on Job 12 that Jamie read to us. Because those who are still leading are not aware that wisdom and truth have been removed from them. And it says in Job 12, they stumble around as if they're drunks or in the dark. They still call themselves wise, but have become fools and cannot see it. They are Pontius Pilate. They cannot see that the truth has actually been exiled, removed, and they stumble around without it.
Again, I have to ask the question, could this even happen to us here in Houghton? Might at any point the king of truth stand, maybe in a blooded, bleeding sort of form, as it were, in an agonizing form, and he will say to us, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And, tragically, we are not listening. How well are the millenniums listening to the voice of Jesus? All who are of the truth, that's the second time I do that, all who are of the truth hear my voice. Now, how, what percentage of the millennials call themselves nuns? Remember the sermon we had several weeks ago from Pastor Wes? Those who say, my religion is none. What is the, how much truth is remaining in those that check the box, none? The stakes are high, people. The stakes are high. History tells us that when the truth of Jesus is banished, when the gospel truth is banished from a people, tragedy invariably follows. Think of Jerusalem. Think of Jerusalem. In how many years was it by that time that they had banished and crucified and rid themselves of Christianity? We think of the persecution, particularly in chapter 8. We think of the incredible driving out of Christianity. How many years after before they were in the worst crisis of their history, which led to the tragedy of 70 AD? Again, listen to my proverb. If God wants to punish a nation, he removes wisdom from their leaders. So what is our role in this world into which we have been born? Jesus said, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Okay, that's Jesus. What about us? And I want you to listen to the commissioning prayer in John 17. Listen how he prays to the Father. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. It's not come up, has it, on the uh, slide? Let me read it again. Listen to me then, since it's not coming up. They, he's saying, Father, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Could you, would you want Jesus to pray such a prayer over you? Would you want to hear Jesus say, Father, I pray for this brother, this sister. They are not of the American world, just as I am not of the American and Western world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Do you hear your heart saying, Lord, pray that prayer over me? Let me also be one of those recipients of this commissioning. Because here Jesus is saying, I'm going to take these 11 men and turn them into gospel men. I'm going to take the wider bride of Christ, all the brothers and sisters that will be joined, and I will make them men and women of the gospel. And I will bear witness through them and send them everywhere with truth. And we may ask, now, where is the world for us if we live in Little Houghton? May I suggest your family? May I suggest your grandchildren? Your children? May I suggest your family that you communicate by Skype? 
May I suggest anyone for whom you are praying. May I suggest your marriage or your community. How vibrant is the Word of God in Allegheny County? That is our commissioned world. For my colleague Don Little and I, together with Gail Schlosser, we have taken this mandate of doing an audit on the religion of Islam. And we have tried it according to the Word of God and found it wanting. They do not have that critical truth in order to repent. And so we bring them Jesus, the Son of God, the one who was revealed from the foundations of the world, so that they too may join us who are those who have repented. What an honor to be able to do that in our generation. So we take an inventory. That is my first challenge to us with this. We take an inventory and say, how much truth, how much truth is still in our communities? And Lord, what do we now do when we find that there is a huge deficit? My second one is to focus on, if I may, the millennials. And I feel we have an incredible responsibility to say those who have grown up in the 21st century to teach them that your, their feelings must not replace the truth. That their feelings must not replace the truth. Now, the social media has profoundly reshaped the cultural landscape. Ever since 1990, when Tim Berners-Lee invented the World Wide Web, a whole world of social media has burst upon us. And last night, when I was in New York City waiting for my flight and seeing all these people in line, every single one of them is virtually glued to their social media network, except for people who are over about 65. They stand and look at everybody else looking at social media. True story. I was one of those. And what you see is this. This is the action of our generation. And then hitting the like buttons and the unlike buttons or whatever. And just, they're completely linked in to a whole landscape, an emotional landscape of their heart. Here's my deepest concern with those who live in this world. For them, how they feel has replaced of how they think. It's a world awash in motions and feelings. How they feel is more important than how they bear witness to the truth. And everything turns into an icon. You can see them here. They're called emotion icons. Isn't that a good name? They're called emoticons or emojis. They have three different names. And did you know there's over 2,000 of these available? And if you want to get creative, you can find out that the Asians have all other different kinds of emoticons and the Westerners have their emoticons. But what the common language is, is it's all about your emotions. Is it really? Is it really? People in our generation are doing something that I have not witnessed before. They're venting their emotions to a degree that I find simply alarming. I find it scary to open up an article and see what people write afterwards. Like how many entries after an article do you have to read before people start typing in capital letters, exclamation points, uh, all sorts of slurs and emotional venting just pours out. That is a scary landscape. And the term I use is that there are emotional millennials. millennials. And there's four things that I can discern as voices amongst the younger millennials. And you've heard all of these before, and they are as follows. If it feels good, do it. That's the first doctrine. If it feels good, do it. Your identity is in how you feel. Second one, be true to your feelings. If you feel that way, just be true to those feelings. The third one, nobody really knows the truth. Nobody has a monopoly on the truth. And the fourth one is, 
whatever. Whatever. That's probably the creedal statement of the emotional millennials. It's like, whatever. Particularly with regards to the truth. This, I suggest to you, is the real world of 2017. And when these four type of emotions, and when this whole emotional landscape comes into my soul, what gets banished? Truth. Truth finds an exit door because how they feel has triumphed of how they think. Could I ask us to do a bit of house cleaning in the house of God on this one? Could we say, Jesus is not an emoticon. Jesus is not a like button. Jesus is not a feeling. He is far greater than a feeling. Because you can wake up someday and not feel Jesus, right? He is still your Lord and Master and Savior and best friend and all, even when you can't feel Him. Because your feelings were never designed to be the final court of appeal in your heart. Something greater than that has been given to you. The Holy Spirit is not an emoticon. God the Father is not an emoji. The Word of God is not a like. Everything God has given us through the pulpit here, through the ministry of music, through the prayers, is far greater than our feelings, as beautiful as they are, gifts that they are. We must say, feelings is not the final court of truth. Let me just talk about how feelings can go badly wrong. Feelings can be very fake. For example, there's people who commit adultery and feel very happy. They feel happy committing adultery. That makes it, it that doesn't make it right. Committing adultery is a great evil. There are people who cheat on their taxes and feel great. But cheating on your taxes is deeply wrong in the eyes of God. There are people who just have the gift of lying to their coach or to their teacher or to their older sister. Lying is evil in the eyes of God. There's people who just love casting slurs on other Americans or other people around the world. But in the eyes of God, that's wrong. Notice all of those four felt really good. But feelings are not the court of authority of the Christian life. Have you noticed that every temptation actually feels really good? In fact, if it didn't feel good, it wouldn't be a temptation. It's because it seems fun and interesting that it is exactly a temptation. You may not let your feelings become the court of authority. And let me just flip this. When you repent, when you go up to your coach or up to your mother or up to your daughter and say, I was wrong to do that. I was very wrong to do that. And when you're repenting, you feel rotten as you're repenting. But you are doing the right thing, even though it feels terrible. Or if you're saying to someone, you know, a close colleague of yours or to a boss saying, what I did was wrong, would you please forgive me? Your repentance does not feel good. You're not doing it because you feel like doing it. You're doing it because it's the right thing to do. Because God, by His truth, is leading you into a path that is so much greater than your feelings. People, marriages aren't held together by feelings. Institutions aren't held together by feelings. Nations are not held together by feelings. You need something stronger, and I propose the Word of God. The Word of God. Jesus said, I'm sanctifying you for this particular role. And so now we see Jesus. We're back to Jesus before Pontius Pilate. 
we see Jesus high and lifted up, and we join those who say together with Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. And we agree that you came for this purpose into the world, to bear witness to the truth. And we together want to listen to that truth as well. This morning, I invite you to be one who in your heart says, Lord, I'm listening to your voice. I want in to this whole commissioning of truth. Let me close by asking you several questions. Can you hear the voice of Jesus when he speaks? Do you see how calmly Jesus will talk to you? God is a gentleman. He doesn't yell at his children. He will speak gently and calm to you as he did with Pontius Pilate. God's not going to yell at you. But he's going to say, if you are of the truth, you will come to me. You will listen to my voice. Can you hear him this morning? Can you open your eyes and ears and begin to discern the landscape around you concerning truth or the lack thereof? Could I ask you to try to ask the Holy Spirit saying, would you show me, Father, where I'm lacking truth in my family, in my life, in this nation around me? Could I ask you to be one of those who is set apart to audit our nation? And may I call the millennials, and maybe their parents too, to learn the art of repentance according to God's truth and not to vent the feelings that your whole generation is in, is in wash with. May I invite you to join the words of Martin Luther that your whole life is a life of repentance. May God grant us the courage to live this amazing gospel that has been entrusted to us. Amen. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we are listening. And you've said that your eyes are upon the knowledge in the land. And we know that ultimately truth belongs to you. It is your final gift to us, your people. You have called us to be the salt of the earth. How well are we doing? How well are we doing? You've called us to be the light of the world. Again, Father, we ask the question, how are we doing? I pray, Father, that as Paul said himself, that we will put away all forms of fiction and falsehood and that we will speak the truth to our neighbor. May the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight, our God and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name. Amen.